0: Shalom, shalom. Can you say shalom? Shalom. It is so great to be with you guys, and I just want to say I I love you, Pastor Rod, like a brother from another mother, And, and Libby, you guys are amazing guys. You are so blessed. I speak in a lot of places and travel a lot, and you really do have a very special community here, and you have an amazing pastor who not only Teaches and preaches God's word, but also who is just an amazing coach and encourager, uh, and has a, of course, has a you know special to me. Loves Israel, the Jewish roots, connecting it all together. So man, I'm excited to be on this journey with you, and to see where the Lord is going to uh, take us. And I know there's some great adventures before us, like we had in Israel and. But I just, he asked me to share a little bit about my journey, since this is the first time getting to know uh, many of you. I grew up in the Holy Land, New Jersey, (laughs) where there were more uh, Jews than in Jerusalem, and you know, grew up going to a conservative synagogue, lost most of my family during the Holocaust, so being Jewish was something that was really important to us in seventh grade, I got really into basketball. I had my bar mitzvah at 13, became a son of the commandments, got really into basketball about the same time. And went from being the worst basketball player to one of the better basketball players on my team. When I got into high school, the varsity football coach was a JV basketball coach. And he said, Jason, if you don't play football, I'm going to bench you from playing basketball. And that's exactly what he did. And so I wound up getting kicked off the basketball team after I threw a Basketball at his head from half court. Don't recommend it. And in my infinite wisdom, I chose a new group, a new, some new friends, and one of them happened to be the high school DJ and drug dealer, so I wound up getting in a lot of trouble. Dropped out of high school, joined a wannabe Filipino gang, and uh, found myself eventually working in a large recording studio in New York City, pursuing fame and fortune among all these hip-hop artists and rock stars. And I looked at the lives of all these famous people, and I said to myself, there has to be more to life than just this, and began a spiritual journey. I was going to synagogue. I was studying one-on-one with my rabbi, but I was also studying Eastern philosophy and religion. Religion, and one day I was meditating and I was like, oh. And all of a sudden, my body began, my soul began to vibrate. I could feel it shaking. It left my body. I could see it above the roof. I was like, I was toward the the roof and I was looking down on my body. I went ultimately into heaven and I saw this king, Ram high and lifted up in glory, my body shaking under the power of heaven, and no one needed to tell me who this was, I knew who this was, it was Yeshua, it was Jesus. And he told me I was called to serve him, amen? Now I came back in my body, I was still kind of shaking under the power of the experience, and I'm running around going, I'm called to serve him! My mom's like, you're called to serve who? Jesus? What are you talking about? We're Jewish! And... Uh, I still didn't fully understand who he was. I knew he was real. I thought he was maybe like some sort of avatar. And my best friend John, who is not Jewish, called me on the telephone and he said, Jason, I've, I've found the truth. Do you think you could tell the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? I said, sure. He read me this passage about the crucifixion. I said, obviously that's the New Testament. He said, let me read you another passage. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and by his stripes were healed. He said, Jason, is that the Old or the New? I said, well, that's the New Testament. He said, no, that's Isaiah 53, the Jewish prophet speaking 700 years before Yeshua, Jesus, ever walked the faith. Of the earth, and I began to be provoked to jealousy because here is my friend who wasn't even Jewish. He knew more about the promises and the prophecies of the Messiah than I did, so I agreed to go with him to this messianic congregation where Jewish people believe in Jesus. At the end of the evening, they dimmed the lights and played the piano. I figured I needed all the help I can get, so I prayed. I said, if you, you prayed this prayer for the first time, raise your hand. I raised my hand. So said, if you raise your hand, will you please stand up? You've just been born again. I had no idea what this meant, but I knew I gave my mother enough trouble, and I was born once. God only knows if I get born again, what's going to happen, right? And, I, and I've heard about these born-again people, right? They're these big-haired televangelists, uh, you know, whatever, and this wasn't for me. I'm this, like, you know, from this Jewish kid from New Jersey, or I could say Jew-Jersey. That's a whole other story but I thought I was safe because no one was supposed to be looking. It's a personal decision between you and the Lord. So I was like, okay, no one's looking. So, but they said, we saw you raise your hand. If you can't stand here for the Messiah, you won't be able to stand for him in the world. There's like 500 people there. I realized we're not going anywhere until I stand up. <laughs> so I stand up. They give me the first Brit Hadashah New Testament I'd ever seen. Driving home with my friend John who took me, he says, Jason, uh, I can't believe it. I've prayed that I would lead one Jewish person to the Lord. Uh, I never thought in a million years it could be you even though I've been praying for you. I didn't know what I was more offended about, that, that he was praying behind my back or he thought there was no hope for me. Was I really that bad? I don't know, maybe. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I didn't. I didn't want to tell him. I had no idea what I had just done. Didn't know what it meant. Took the Bible home, hid it in my bedroom. God forbid my mom should find a New Testament. But curiosity got the best of me. I read it for the first time. I was blown away about the messianic prophecies and the promises, how Jewish it was. And what the Lord said to me in that encounter was a verse from the New Testament. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is real. He is the one Moses and the prophets spoke of. I gave my life to him. I was instantaneously transformed. Of course, I would like turned 20 at the time, just a few years ago, and uh, I should have known you can't hide anything from your moms. They have that special spiritual gift. She found the New Testament. What is this that I found in your room? Don't tell me become one of those Jews who believe in Jesus. I knew you'd do something like one day, this one day and break my heart. Go meet with the rabbi. You've joined a cult. And so I got my Hebrew, I got my my Jewish Bible, my Tanakh, and I underlined all the Messianic promises and prophecies, and I met with him, and he felt he had a good answer for every one of them, except one, Daniel chapter 9, the chapter we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, as my parents saw, they were upset at first, but as they saw my faith in Messiah, Jesus, didn't make me less Jewish. It made me more Jewish uh, because he is the king of the Jews. He came to make better Jews, not worse ones. And every event in the life of Jesus happened on a Jewish holiday. He died as the Passover lamb. He rose from the dead on first fruits. He poured out his spirit on uh, Pentecost, Shavuot in Hebrew, the same day the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. That Moses ascends the mountain. And so all these things are connected. And I realized that everything that I had done as a child had deep spiritual significance and was connected to Messiah Yeshua. Jesus in some way. And it, it really was impactful on me and impactful on uh, my parents. And, uh, you know, they are in the process. They believe on some level and they're in the process waiting to see what God's going to fully do there. Uh, after I came to know the Lord, wound up going to get training, Bible college. And when I was done there, moved back to New York City, met my wife, Stephanie, and she is from Michigan. She is a youper. She is from Iron Mountain. I had no idea that world existed. Listen, I, listen, I, listen, I, you know, I, when I, this is a funny story. The first time I go up to Iron Mountain, they're talking about uh, deer camp. Now, I grew up in New Jersey. The only thing we hunted for was bargains, okay? (laughs) I thought deer camp was when you went to feed the deer, because we fed deer. We didn't shoot deer. We fed deer. (laughs) Clueless. Clueless, but uh, she 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 her she's a Jewish believer, and uh, she came to faith driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. (laughs) God's got a funny plan, and uh, we have two boys, Avi and Judah, nine and eleven, and we moved to California a number of years ago. I lead a ministry we're based out of Hollywood called Fusion. And kind of our passion at fusion is to fuse the old and the new. Matthew 13 says, What can a scribe who understands the kingdom of God be compared to like a household that brings forth both new and old treasures? Friends, too many people settle for half an inheritance. Jews too many times settle for the old, Christians settle for the new. I know that's different here, but the fullness is when the old and the new come together. This is the fullness of the inheritance. It's the road to Emmaus experience where Jesus opened up the Bible and showed how everything in the Torah, the writing, and the prophets pointed to him, and they said that our hearts not burn within us. So my hope this morning as we make these connections between the old and the new that you will have kind of that road to Emmaus experience and and just be excited about the the word and how it all connects and comes together. And then there's another aspect of this, a coming together of the old and the new, which is Jew and Gentile uniting in Messiah. Jesus' last prayer, Matthew 17, he prays that these and those would be one as he and the Father are one. Who are the these? These are the Jewish disciples that were there with him who are the those those are the nations that would believe as a result of the great commission so he prays that these and those would be one as he and the father are one and when they become one what is going to happen he goes on to say then you will be perfected in unity friends we're only perfected in unity we're only perfected in community We can't do it by ourselves, and there's something significant. It is the kingdom, is Jew and Gentile coming together, and then it goes on to say, and then the world will know that the Father sent me. Until we are one, the world will not know he is the one. Until we are W-O-N-E, one, the world will not be W-O-N, will not be one for him and for his kingdom. And that's kind of a little bit about what we do. And uh, we, do, we do some work in the Arab world and in media and some books and different stuff. And so, you know, would love to stay connected with you. Social media, Rabbi Jason Sobel, you can connect or online. But I'm excited to be here with you and to be able to share with you from this passage in Daniel chapter... Nine, But before we get to Daniel chapter 9, that's not where I want to start. I want to start in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can turn look up on the screen. We'll make it easy for you. Now after... Yeshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Friends, think about it for a moment. Why would wise men care about the birth of a Jewish king in the little province of Judea? And even not only why would they care, how would they know that he was born at this time, that the king of the Jews was born? And why was it necessary in God's plan for seemingly pagan Persian wise men to come from the east to acknowledge Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, So the first thing we have to understand, the first key to solving this question, this kind of mystery, is that the Magi were priestly astrologers from the East, and in the Bible when the term East is used, it's primarily talking about one place, and what is the place that it's talking about? It's talking about Babylon. They came from the Babylonian area. Why is that important? Because there is only one passage in the entire scriptures that give the exact year the Messiah had to be born. That's incredible. Think about it. Long before the Messiah ever came to be, God prophesied of the exact year that the Messiah had to appear on the earth. And where is that passage found? It is found in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse twenty. Actually 24, but beginning in verse 20, Daniel nine twenty. And where was the book of Daniel written? Where was Daniel when he wrote the book? Babylon. Babylon. So was it just mere coincidence that the astrologers come from Babylon in the exact year, as we'll see, that Daniel, who was in Babylon, speaks about the birth, speaks about the coming of the Messiah? I think not. Matthew 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before Adonai, my God, on behalf of the holy mountain of God, yes, while I was praying, Gabriel, the one I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me swiftly about the time of the evening offering. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your request, a message went out and I have come to declare it to you for you are greatly esteemed therefore consider the message and understand the vision 77's are decreed among your people and your holy city to put an end to transgression to bring sin to an end to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the holy of holies, so you know and understand from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the time Mashiach, Messiah the Prince, Therefore, there'll be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with plaza and moat, but it will be in times of distress. And after 62 weeks, Mashiach, Messiah, will come and be cut off and have nothing. So we remember, Daniel wrote this book where in In Babylon. And think about it for a moment, the backstory: Daniel had been taken there as part of the Babylonian captivity. He became one of the wise men with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three nice Jewish boys. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wants the wise men to interpret the dream. He feels like maybe they're scamming him. So he says, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. You You have to... seek revelation on my dream and you have to give me the interpretation. They're like, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, this thing has never been done in the history of the world. No wise man, magician, astrologer has ever been able to know somebody else's dream. It's not possible. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, you better make it possible because if you don't make it possible, I'm cutting off all your heads and that's the end to you. So they're a little bit nervous. They're sweating here. And the king actually gives the decree to put them to death. They come to Daniel. Daniel says, why are you in such a rush? He goes, you know, give me some time to pray. Daniel prays. The Lord reveals to him the dream and the interpretation. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away by it. He says, who is like Daniel's God, a revealer of mysteries and he he offers incense to the god of Daniel in worship and he promotes Daniel and makes him the most powerful man in Babylon next to him Daniel 248 then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon so could you imagine These magi had never experienced anything like this. How is it possible that Daniel could know the dream that had not been revealed along with the interpretation? Believe me, when Daniel spoke from this point on, they took notice because they had never experienced the power of God in the way that they had seen Through the life of Daniel, and of course, the Daniel and the lions' den, and the three nice Jewish boys thrown into the furnace. Like these Babylonian wise men recognize that God is with Daniel and these and these these and his Jewish friends in a way that they've never seen before. And so you could imagine that many of these wise men took the words in the writings of Daniel to heart and probably many of them came to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these ultimately are the ancestors of the wise men that come and pay homage at the birth of Jesus. And so we see, let's take a closer look at Daniel chapter 9 a, let's look at this. So Daniel chapter 9, 1 through 23 provides the context for the book of Daniel and what's known as the 77's prophecies. What's going on here is Daniel is studying the other prophets. In particular, he's studying the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah gets a prophecy from the Lord that the Jewish people are going to have to go into exile for how many years? You can cheat. Seventy years. Seventy years for neglecting what in the land of Israel? The sabbatical years, right? Every seventh year, the land was to get a rest, that they were not to sow and plant, but they were to let the land rest. And so because they had not honor the sabbatical years, God said 70 years of exile as a result. Daniel's meditating and thinking about this prophecy and he realizes that the 70 years are almost up. So he's like, this is great news. It's time for us to go back to our land, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, for the temple to be reestablished, and for the Messiah to come because that's what he's thinking. He's thinking the captivity is gonna lead to the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom when the 70 years are complete but the angel Gabriel comes in him and says no Daniel 70 years for Israel exile to end but it's not going to be the time for the coming of the Messiah for the coming of the Messiah and for the kingdom to be established it's not 70 years but it's 70 times what? 7 math scholars how many years is that? 490 years until everything is completed and the kingdom is established. And so Daniel understands that con- the confession of is- the- the conf- Israel's has to confess their sin before the restoration will occur. And that's part of why he's making supplication and confessing before the Lord. So let's continue on and look at the 77's decree contained in Daniel chapter nine, verse 24. 70 weeks are decreed concerning your people and your holy city. So there's 70 units of seven totaling a period of 490 years is decreed upon the Jewish people, and I want to look at the reason for the 77s. There's very specific reason why, what has to happen during this period, so let's take a look at that next, the 77s. You can read it on the screen. There's six things that are there. We're going to look at that more closely in a moment. But I think we have to ask the question because we want to connect the old and the new of in this period, there are six things that have to occur. Why the number six? Why six things? Think about it for a moment. I want to take a deeper look at the number six. Why six things? What day was man created on? On the sixth day. And not only was man created on the sixth day, but there's something else. In Jewish thought, man actually fell on the sixth day. And when we fell on the sixth day, we lost six things as a result of the fall. Now you see there, number three, the generations and six. Can you say toldot? toldot. That's a Hebrew word for generations. Do you see that there, in one toldot, there are two it's highlighted yellow two times. That's the letter vav. Can you say vav? So in the beginning, when it says God created the heavens and earth, the word toldot is written with two letter vavs. You see them highlighted in the yellow. But after the fall, for the rest of scripture, that word toldot, which means generations, is written defectively. It is missing the second letter vav. Why? Because vav is, in Hebrew, the number six. Hebrew is alphanumeric, so you write numbers with letters. So if I say open your Bibles to chapter six in Hebrew, I'll say open your Bible to chapter vav because vav equals six, okay? And so the letter vav is missing because we fell on the sixth day, we lost six things as a result of the sixth day, the same day which we were created on, and then that word is not written fully again until we come to the book of Ruth chapter four, verse 18, where you see the two vavs are restored. Why? Because it's talking about the genealogy, ultimately, of parrots, who's gonna ultimately come forth through the line of parrots, David, and ultimately the Messiah because the Messiah comes to restore and reverse the six things that were lost at the fall. So when he comes and does the first miracle, which was the what? Turning the water into wine. He does it with how many pots? Six stone pots. Because he's coming to restore everything that was lost. And then we see he dies on what day of the week? Good. And the biblical calendar, that's the sixth day. Because we fell on the sixth day, lost six things, so Messiah dies as the second Adam on the cross on the sixth day to reverse the curse and restore the blessing. Think about it for a moment. Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? How does, think about it. Man stole from the tree, but God puts back on the tree for you and me, the second Adam, what we couldn't. Why does he have a crown of thorns on his head? Because what's the sign of the curse of creation? The ground will produce what? Thorns and thistles. He's literally taking the curse of creation on himself for you and me to reverse it, to restore the blessing on our behalf. But there's something more. The letter vav in Hebrew is the conjunction and. And. The first place it occurs, the first place the letter vav occurs in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens, vav, which is and earth. Vav is the letter that connects heaven and earth. When we sinned, what happened? We broke the connection between heaven and earth. Jesus is the vav. He's the one that comes to restore the connection. And the vav looks like a nail because it's what actually held him to the tree, right? to restore that connection for us. I mean, I just love how those things come together, right? So that we can have the abundant life that he came to bring. So we see why six things, but let's continue on and look specifically a little bit more closely about the six things mentioned here in Daniel. The first thing we see that the Messiah is going to do is he's going to put an end to transgression. That's the first thing we read about in Daniel 9, 24a. He's going to put an end to transgression. In the Hebrew, it actually says the transgression. It's not transgression in general, but it's the definite article. It's specific. It's a specific transgression, a definitive transgression that he is going to deal with. What is it? Ultimately, it's the rejecting of of the Messiah, that Israel rejected the Messiah and ultimately God's going to deal with the rejection. Zechariah 12.10, we will look upon the one whom we have pierced and we will mourn for him as one mourns for a first, like the bitter weeping over the firstborn. Number two it's to bring an end to sin. What's the difference between transgression and sin in this context? Sin refers to daily sins, right? All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what is going to happen when the Messiah fulfills everything spoken of here ultimately in the messianic age we are not going to sin anymore sin is going to be removed Israel will not sin on a daily basis they will walk with God this is what the Lord says in Ezekiel he'll put his spirit in us and we will walk in his statutes in his his commandments we will walk perfectly with God this is the new covenant I will put my spirit within them this is the purpose of the Spirit, that we may walk completely in the will of God. And then it says to atone for iniquity. How is that different from transgression and sin? Iniquity refers to our sin nature. The reason why we won't sin is God is going to wipe out the sin nature within us. It's known in Hebrew as the evil inclination, the Yitzhahara. He's going to completely remove it from us and he'll transform us. And then we see that he will... He's going to make an end to all these things. He's going to atone for iniquity. And just so significant, friends, we've got to understand what the Lord has done for us. Friends, we're coming up on the holiday season. Are you guys starting to think about your Christmas list? Who's been naughty and nice, making your list and checking it twice? Listen, have you ever gone out at the holiday season and got so excited to buy gifts for your friends, you open up the bill after the holidays and you're like, oh, I don't have the money to pay this. So what do you do? You only pay the what? The minimum. So you don't have the creditors call you on the phone, giving you a hard time and ruining your credit. But if you pay only the minimum, you're only paying the interest and you're never paying the principal. That's what the credit card companies want you to do. They'll keep giving you more credit, why? Because they want to keep you in debt because that's how they make their money. They just want you to pay the interest. They don't want you to wipe away the actual principal debt itself. It says he comes to make final atonement. The word for atonement in Hebrew is kafar. Can you say kafar? kafar. It's like the day of atonement, Yom Kippur is from the same word, Kippurah. Kafar means literally to cover. The sacrifices in the Old Testament were just a covering for sin. They only paid the minimum. That's why they had to be offered year after year. But when Jesus comes, he offers a sacrifice once and for all for sin, and he wipes it out completely. Both the principal and the interest and the debt is finished. We are debt-free in Jesus, amen? amen. Wipes out the debt completely. And then he gives us his righteousness. He adds credit to our account on top of that. And we see that's the next thing, to bring in an age of everlasting righteousness. This is the time of the establishment of the messianic kingdom. Number five, to seal up vision and prophecy. He will bring everything that the prophets have spoken of to pass. They will be fulfilled. And ultimately, number six, to anoint the Holy of Holies. This is when Messiah comes and establishes the Messianic kingdom and the Messianic temple that we're all going to go up and worship with him in the new Jerusalem. Amen? Well, let's take a deeper look at the program of the 77s. It says this, Daniel 9.25, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild, to build Jerusalem until the time of the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what's this saying? From the time a decree goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem, there will be 62 plus seven weeks, totaling 69 weeks. Mathematically, 69 times seven, what it's saying is, 483 years from the time to decree Jeru- to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple is given. That's when the Messiah has to come. It gives us the exact year of the coming of the Messiah, 48three years from the decree to do what? To rebuild what? Jerusalem and the what? And the temple. All right, guys, you're tracking with me. You guys are doing well. I know this is a lot. Hang in there. Listen, what decree is it talking about? There's several decrees it could be talking about. It's talking about, I believe, the decree of Cyrus. 2 Chronicles 36, 22, and 23 talks about this decree of Cyrus decreeing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And why is this so significant? Because... This is actually a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Friends, this is awesome. The prophet Isaiah, 150 years before Cyrus gives this decree, decrees and gives this prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 28, he says this, while, Cyrus, while saying of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will fulfill all my purpose. While saying to Jerusalem, you will be built, and to the temple, your foundation will be will be laid. Friends, Cyrus is mentioned 150 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah. That is incredible. For people who say the Bible isn't the word of God, I mean, I mean this is incredible how it all ties together. And by the way, Daniel, the, the, the year Cyrus gave the decree was the same year that Daniel first gave this prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 and the decree of Cyrus happen in the same year. And so we see what's going to happen during this period, during the, 60, the first 69-7. So Daniel talks about three periods of time. He talks about 7, 62, and 7. Okay, that adds up to 70 weeks altogether, or 490 years. The first period of seven, which is 49 years, the temple is rebuilt. Then it goes into the next period of years, which is the, which is the 62 sevens. And then the final seven, which we'll see in a moment. So let me just say this, to make it simple. From the time Cyrus's decree was given, to the time Messiah was born was how many years? 483 years to the exact year. So how did the wise men know That this was the time to look for the coming of the King of Israel in the Christmas story because they had Daniel's prophecy. Daniel's prophecy said from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, 483 years. They knew when Cyrus gave the decree, they were faithful to count the years, all those years. So they knew that was the time they had to go to Israel to worship and pay homage to the King. Isn't that awesome? But there's something more because the question we have to ask is how did they know that it was going to be a star that was going to lead them to the birth of this king? Because Daniel's prophecy doesn't mention a star. But we read about the star prophecy in, in Numbers 24. There's this prophet by the name of Balaam. Balaam is hired by this king Balak to curse Israel when they come out of Egypt. Instead of cursing them four times, he blesses them four times. And this is really good news, guys, because what it tells us is that no one can curse what God has blessed. If God has blessed you, no one can curse you. If God has blessed you, no one can rob you of your destiny. Turn to someone and say, No one, no one, say to someone that no one can rob you of your destiny. Turn to someone and say, No one can curse you because God has blessed you. Friends, say, I'm blessed. And I know some of you don't fully believe that, but you are blessed. This is what the this is what the star prophecy says, Numbers 24, 17. I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Actually, the better reading of the text is a variant reading in the Hebrew text where it says, batter the brow of Moab. It actually says, batter, batter the brow of Gog, which is the end time, the enemy of Israel and Ezekiel. So this passage in the book of Numbers says that the Messiah's sign of the Messiah is going to be a star, a star prophecy. It's given by what prophet, did I say? Balaam, guess where Balaam was from? Babylon. So the prophecy that gives the year of the Messiah given in Babylon, the prophecy that gives the sign of the Messiah, the star, given by a wise man, a magi from Babylon by the name of Bilam. And this connects to a number, another passage in Genesis 49 that says this, Jacob gathers his sons and blesses the 12 sons of Israel and says, let me tell you what will happen to you in the last day, a famous messianic prophecy, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, who comes? Shiloh comes. Shiloh is one of the names of the Messiah. And it says, unto him will be the obedience of the nations. So Genesis 49 connects the scepter of. Numbers 24 and the star, and it says that when this Messiah comes, the nations are going to come and pay tribute to him. The three wise men coming to Jesus is a fulfillment of Daniel 9 partially. It's the fulfillment of Numbers 24 partially, and it's a fulfillment of Genesis 49 that the nations will come and pay tribute and bring gifts to the king of kings, the anointed one, the Messiah. And I love this. The first gift they mention in this passage is the gift of gold. Do you ever wonder why they bring gold? Obviously, gold is associated with royalty, but I love this because think about it. Gold symbolizes the kingdom. In heaven, even the streets are what? Paved with gold. Do you ever wonder why God paves the streets in, in, with heaven, with gold? It seems kind of strange, right? Is God just into the bling-bling? and he just wants to bling, bling heaven, right? I'm just gonna, I got got it going on, I'm so wealthy, I'm just gonna make the streets of gold, kind of like people who make gold toilets, right? It's like impressive. (laughs) It's not the reason. We are willing to die and kill and do anything for gold, most people. What it's saying is that which is most valuable for here in our lives is only worth paving the streets in heaven with. It's literally a walking on the values of this world. It's a complete reversal of everything that we esteem. Because the kingdom is a kingdom of opposites, right? To be the greatest, you have to become the what? To be be the greatest, you have to become the what? Servant. The first will be what? And the last will be what? To find your life, you have to be willing to what? The kingdom is the exact opposite of the way the world thinks. That's why the cross is foolishness to the world, but it's the wisdom of God for us. They bring him these gifts, and we're not going to talk about these gifts, but they bring him the gifts. But we said in this passage, until everything is fulfilled, how many years are there in total? 490 years. I want you to see a deeper connection here that's really, that's really significant, okay? 490, okay, is the numerical value of the word Bethlehem, Beit lechem, say Beit lechem. So every Hebrew word has a numerical value. The numerical value of the word Bethlehem is 490, this ties back Daniel's prophecy of 490 years to the place where Jesus was born, Bethlehem, 490. And 490 is connected to forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes and says, how many times will I have to forgive up to seven? Jesus says, no, not seven, but what? Seven 490. He picked that number for a reason because Bethlehem literally means house of Bread. Bread and forgiveness are connected. Give us this day our what? Daily bread and forgive us of our what? So Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, connects bread and forgiveness. In the Lord's Supper, this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of sins, okay? He's born in Bethlehem, 490. The word for nativity in Hebrew, moladati, is 490. Messiah was born so that we might taste the bread of forgiveness. And just like we can't live physically without bread, we can't live spiritually and emotionally without the bread of forgiveness, Friends, we have to learn to forgive. Especially in this holiday season, we're going to come across from people in our family that are going to push our buttons. When we can't forgive, we're like Weekend at Bernie's. We're carrying a dead body with us. And I had this dream In this dream, I'm in the airport, and they ask me for my ticket. They take my ticket, and they rip it up. They give me a new one. It's a free upgrade to first class. I'm so excited, right? Because once you fly first class, it's hard to go back to steerage and coach. I'm walking to the plane, and I realize I lost my Tumi luggage. No one can find it. I'm like, Lord, thank you for the upgrade, but did you have to take my Tumi briefcase that I got as a gift from my wife when I graduated grad school? And the Lord said to me in the dream this. He said, Jason, you can't receive the upgrade if you're holding on to your old baggage you can't step into the new if you're holding on to the old of baggage of unforgiveness of disappointments of negativity friends there are some things you need to let go of if you're going to step into the fullness of the promises and the redemption of God what do you need to let go of in this season Turn to someone and say, say it's, uh, it's time for your upgrade. <laughs> say, it's time to let go of the old to receive the new. And let me just say this. 490, why? It's the ultimate sabbatical. Daniel's 490 because they neglected the sabbatical year. In the sabbatical year, you don't dig up the ground. Friends, that's forgiveness. You don't dig up the past. You have to let it lie fallow. You let the slaves go free in the sabbatical, and the jubilee year. Friends, when we forgive someone, we're giving them a personal jubilee in their lives. Now, I'm running out of time here, but uh, we're back to Daniel 9 real quick. There are three things that have to occur between the 69th and the 70th year. Number one, Messiah will be killed. Number two, the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. And number three, continuing war, meaning Jerusalem, the land of Israel, will be in a constant state of war to the coming of the Messiah. Now those are the first 69 weeks of Daniel. That happened, that was fulfilled between between the decree of, of Cyrus and the, and, and the coming of Yeshua and his first coming, the first 69 weeks were fulfilled. We're waiting for one final week to be fulfilled, the 70th week. The book of Revelation is a commentary on Daniel's seventh week. The seven years. Daniel, John is meditating on Daniel 9 and understand there's one week that has to come. The beginning of this week, Daniel 9, 27, a firm covenant will be made for one week for seven years with Israel to initiate the temple, the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system in the, in the middle of that week, after three and a half years, he'll break the covenant. The sacrifices will stop. It'll lead to idol worship. He'll erect, The Antichrist will uh, create an idol of himself and ask the people to bow down and worship it and finally the tribulation will come to the completion in the exact time of seven years not one day longer because we wouldn't be able to endure and let me say this by mean of application as we close out Friends, I wanna encourage you that Daniel lived in light of the messianic hope. He was motivated to pray and see Messiah come, to see the kingdom come. Friends, that should be our desire, to see Messiah come, to long for him, to desire him. This is one of the, this is one of the key things. By longing for the Messiah, it's so significant. By longing for the Messiah, we can actually hasten the coming of the Lord by desiring him to come. Hoping for the Lord actually purifies us that when we see him, we will be like him and all who have this hope purifies themselves. The messianic hope gives us perseverance. Friends, I want us to understand the significance of this. Messiah came so that we can have hope. This is the point of what I'm sharing with you today. Think about it for a moment. How is it possible for all of these passages to begin to come together? God is in all of the detail. The foundation of hope is this, knowing God is in control. Just like God worked out all of these details So that a king in Rome would give a decree to take a census and people had to move and they just thought they were under the tyranny of the king. But no, God was doing all of this so that Joseph and Mary can get to Bethlehem. He was fulfilling all these things happen, all of the details God was in. And guess what? God is still in the details of your life and my life. God loves the details, He works all things out together for good. The foundation of hope is knowing God is in control. We're not just pawns, but God is in control. And hope is the belief that our future is going to be better than our past. Turn to someone and say, your future is going to be better than your past. But friends, the foundation of this hope is the messianic hope. It is the blessed hope. It is the coming of the Messiah. And guess what? There is a special reward in heaven a special crown in heaven. Paul says, there's a crown laid up for me, but not only for me, for all those who have loved his appearing. If you long for him and love him, there's a special crown, a special reward that he has for you in heaven. Friends, let's long for him. Let me share with you the story as we close. There was a rabbi who had a disciple And his disciple married this woman, and after 10 years, they didn't have children. And he went to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, I want to divorce my wife. It's been 10 years. We have no children. We can't fulfill the very first commandment to be fruitful and multiply. The rabbi says, "Uh, I don't want this for you, but if you insist upon it, then I have one condition before I grant you a bill of divorce. You need to go celebrate and have a feast with your wife, you, you leave your marriage the same way you entered in because you've had many good years together except for this child. So they went home. The wife prepares this big feast at the feast, the, the husband is so emotional as they reminisce over their years together. He says to his wife, listen, when you leave tonight to go back to your father's home to remember the years that we had together, you can take with you whatever you believe is the most valuable thing in our home. It doesn't matter how much it is, you can take it with you as a reminder of how much I've appreciated our years together and how sorry I am for having to do this. So they're feasting. He has a little bit too much wine. They turn, he turned the water into wine in the Bible, by the way not grape juice, but he does a little bit of too much wine and he wakes up the next morning. He doesn't recognize where he's at and his wife walks in. He says, where am I? She goes, you're in my father's house. She says, what am I doing here? We agreed to part company. He said, listen. She said, listen, you said I could take with me whatever was the most precious thing. And I looked at everything we had and there was only one thing that was precious to me and that was you. You are the most precious thing he began to cry. He realized what a foolish, how foolish he had been. He said, I love you, and if we never have kids, you're enough for me. Nine months later, they had a baby boy. The rabbis say this is a parable. If a woman who has a husband who wants to leave her says to him, you're the most precious thing, and he decides to return with her How much more if God's people cry out and say to the Lord, you are the most precious thing. Would the Messiah not come from heaven and establish his kingdom in our midst? Friends, the spirit and the bride say come. May the Lord be the most precious thing to us. May that hope and desire for the king give us hope in our hearts to know God has a better future for us. May it purify us. May it give us the ability to persevere in tough times and may it hasten the day of his return. Bim Heira Amen? Turn to someone and just I just want you to say, if you if you believe this in your heart, I just want you to say to the Lord as the worship band comes, as the team comes, I just want you to say with me, Lord, you are the most precious thing. Amen. Oh, mm-hmm. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Ki anochi yadati et machjavot a sher anoki ha shave alechem ne um adonai. For I know the thoughts which I think towards you, says the Lord. Machjavot shalom velo the Ra la tet acharit v'tigva. Thoughts of shalom of nothing missing, nothing broken, and not of evil. To give you a to give you an end, a good end, to give you a future, the tigva, and to give you a hope. So I just declare hope over you, nothing missing, nothing broken, a hope that shapes your future in light of the blessed hope. And I declare this benediction over you, that Aaron proclaimed as the high priest over the people. Yevorech Adonai v'yishmorecho Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'kunecho Yisa Adonai Panavelho Vai sem leho
1: Shalom
0: May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you his shalom in the name of Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. And as the wise men came and laid their gifts before the Lord, may each one of us lay our lives and the best we have at the feet of Yeshua, at the feet of Jesus. And hope for his coming soon. In his name we pray. Amen.